Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he will be Emmanuel. God is with us. Where does that come from? Where, when, how, what is it? Who is it? I want to attempt to answer some of those things, and most especially at the end, get to why. Why is the virgin conception and birth of the Son of God important? Why not that it be between the natural uh, means, by, you know, a man and a woman, husband and wife, consummating the relationship, and for that, having the Son of God? Why a virgin birth? So let's get into it. First, in our first reading from Isaiah 7, we hear about the prophecy. This is a prophecy of the virgin birth. And the context is important. The context, it's eight centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's in Judah. And the one who comes to him, Isaiah, is speaking for God to Ahaz. Ahaz is the king of Judah. And he's in a pickle of a situation. The situation is this. His nation is about to be invaded. And by his own people. By this time, Israel has split between the ten northern tribes in the north, what we call Israel, and the two tribes in the south, in Judah. And furthermore, Israel has aligned itself with a foreign power and foreign gods. It is in cahoots with the Assyrian Empire, and it's going to come down and take a hold of Judah and take it over. God had already tried to warn Israel before not to go into a relationship with Assyria. But that didn't go well. And now they're lost, the ten northern tribes. So now what they're doing is trying to take over the last two tribes. And here's little lowly Judah and this um, small little king Ahaz. And God is trying to say through Isaiah, trust in me. Don't trust in politics and power of your age. Trust in the covenant. Remember it. And Ahaz... He feigns righteousness. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But really what's going on is he doesn't want God to give him a sign. God says to him, listen, I'll ask for any sign. I'll fulfill it to show you that I'm true to my word. No, no, no. I, Ahaz doesn't, doesn't want that. Because what he doesn't want is God to fulfill the sign. And then have to live under the consequences of that sign. And that is to trust in God and his power rather than the things that are at his fingertips. The stuff that he can control. Like an alliance that he's about ready to make with Egypt in order to fight this great war. And so he says no. Because he doesn't want to have to then trust and depend ultimately for his life upon God. It's the same thing that you and I can struggle with, right? When we go for the things of this world rather than the things of God. Because we know that if we truly give ourselves over to God, then that means our lives will change. And we don't trust God enough that they'll change for the better. We think we have a better plan. That's Ahaz, that's us. And so Ahaz refuses it. Then God says, okay, great. Then I'm going to give you a sign. Even though you're not asking for it. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel. 
Now, whenever prophecies happen, a lot of times they're prophecies that are for that age and for that particular situation to be fulfilled then and there. But also, it's God saying, if I can do it here and now, then I can do it again and in a much bigger way. And so that's what happens. God gives a sign. A virgin, a young maiden, not married, is then married by Ahaz. And Ahaz, his wife, the young maiden, the virgin, they have natural relationships. And through that, they have a son called Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, a baby, is going to grow up to be a king, the king of Ahaz, the king of Judah. And that's a sign. But still, Ahaz will not believe in it. Will not trust in this sign. The sign is God saying, listen, the kingdom is going to continue. I'm giving you a son. I'm giving you an heir. The line of David and Judah is going to continue. Trust in me. And Ahaz will not. So now... We jump forward eight centuries to the time of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. And in here, it's interesting, and Matthew records this. When the angel Gabriel comes to fulfill the true purpose of that prophecy, he addresses Joseph as son of David. He addresses him as a king in the line of kings about ready to have the king of kings. And he says to him, it's not going to be through natural means. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you are to name him Emmanuel. What does he mean by that? And how is that possible? Betrothal. Which Matthew records so that we can hear it. What is betrothal? Betrothal is not engagement like in the 21st century. There are two parts to Jewish marriages in the first century of Judaism in Jesus' time. The first part is when a man asks for a woman's hand in marriage. And right then, if she says yes, they are married. There's a contract that's written up, and they're married. But they do not live together, and they do not consummate the relationship. Rather, the man has to go off, and he has to build a home for her. He has to be able to prove to her, to her family, and to everyone else that he can care for her. Now that may take six months, a year, two years, whatever. And then, when he's ready, he comes for her. And there's this great procession to her home, the house of her parents, and he brings her to his home, their home. And then what ensues is a seven-day wedding. Now Jews of the first century knew how to party, right? Seven days. And then in the midst of that seven days, somewhere in the midst of that, the husband and the wife, they go off and they consummate their relationship. And then they come back and there's even more celebration, celebrating the fact that a child will come one day. It's beautiful. And so Matthew makes sure that we know that they're betrothed But Mary has not yet come to live with him. So she is a virgin. And it's in that context that the angel Gabriel says, 
she will conceive. Not by you. She's a virgin. It's going to be by the Holy Spirit. And he will be Emmanuel. God with us. And Joseph has a decision to make just like Ahad, Ahaz did eight centuries ago and just like you and I. Do I trust what God is promising? Do I trust God? He had freedom. A has freedom. We have the same freedom. Because Joseph knows that if he is going to consent to this and he takes Mary into his home, he knows this is going to change his life forever. That he will take a woman into his home who is a virgin, who conceives by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to change everything. And can he trust God enough for that? And he does. And what it brings about is not God with us, like in the day of Ahaz, where God comes alongside of us, God gives us a sign, God is with us in spirit, God is with us in the king. Right? No, this is literally going to be God with us in the flesh. He trusts that. And then not only then does God come and dwell in his household and in, and, in, and in his relationship, but then he and his wife become the means by which God dwells among the nations. That's the when and the where and the what and the who. And the how? By the Holy Spirit. But I think the most important question, that, those are all important, is why? Why would God give this prophecy eight centuries before the birth of Christ? And why would God fulfill this prophecy? And why did he see it as necessary, as a necessary part of his plan for our salvation, that our Savior come through a virgin conception and birth. What's to do with the prophecy? It was a prophecy, again, for that time, Ahaz time, but it was God saying, listen, if I can do this now, then I can do this again. And I can do this in an incredible way. And that's precisely what happens. What God was showing us is that we're not going to save ourselves like through Ahaz and Hezekiah and rescuing a people in an earthly way. We're not capable of saving ourselves as humans. It's going to be a, a suspension of the natural law and something supernatural is going to in intervene into human history and it's only going to be through that supernatural intervention of God that we have the hope of salvation. So God does something different than Ahaz and more than his time. He suspends even the laws of nature itself to show us that he is going to be our savior. Not we. Not you. Not me. He is. But it's more than that, too. Because when he decides that it will be a virgin birth, what he's saying also is that not only is it not through the natural relationships of a man and a woman, 
that will produce a natural human being by the laws of nature. But who will come from this union of the Holy Spirit and a woman in a supernatural way will then truly be the Son of God. You see, Jesus becomes then fully human. He doesn't become semi-human, a demigod, a demiurge, something, you know, like in Greek or Roman mythology. He doesn't become any of that. No, he becomes fully human through this supernatural act. He gets all of his humanity from Mary. But at the same time, he gets all of his divinity from God. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. And here's the reason why God ordained it in this way. So that one day, he will be here, and he will take upon himself on the cross. He's already human, fully human. He will therefore take all of our human sin and all the consequences of our human sins, the fullness of it, and he will die to it. But because he's God, he's the only one who can forgive it, redeem us, and restore us to the original image and likeness that he created us in from the very beginning. This is the new image and likeness of humanity. Redeemed in Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully human. And that's why Christ had to come into this world through the virgin birth. It leaves us with the same situation that Ahaz had to deal with and that Jesus had to deal with. Joseph and Mary. And it's simply this. Do you trust it? Do you trust God? Do you trust the fact that there are over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah and every single one of them was fulfilled in one man, Jesus Christ. And some of them, as I was mentioning earlier a few weeks ago, were written 800 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. Every single one of those over 400 prophecies were fulfilled. What is it going to take for us to believe? And I'm not just talking about belief. I'm talking about trusting in what God has promised. And then allowing that trust to change our lives forever. Ahaz made the decision that he could not trust. And it put an entire nation in peril. We have the same impact. If we're not willing to trust, it puts our spouses in peril. It puts us in peril. It puts our children in peril. It puts our community in peril. It puts an entire nation, our nation, in peril. But if we believe, then Emmanuel, God is with us. And not just with me and my family, but then God comes through us in a supernatural way and into the life of a nation and history and humanity. And the very reasons then why God gave this prophecy and fulfilled this prophecy will be fulfilled in you and I. 
But we have the same freedom that Ahaz and Joseph has. What will you do with your freedom? And here's the last question. Or observation. If where you're at in life is that you barely believe this or fearful of trusting it and what it means to you, understand the two situations and the difference between the two of them. Ahaz was not close to God. He was not living close to God. So it makes sense. If we're not living close to the ways of God, this will be difficult for us. But Joseph was. And he immediately said yes. The key to our ability to say yes, intellectually, in our hearts, existentially, is to live close to him. And God will get us to the point where not only we believe, but we trust. And God will be Emmanuel to us. And there will be many lives who will be impacted because we live close to God.